Heavenly Father, you are with us, Lord God. You surround us, Lord God. You protect us, Lord God. But you also, Lord God, are in us, Lord God, not just to protect us, but to send us out, Lord God. It says in your word, in Isaiah 61, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on us because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives. There's people in here that feel trapped and captive and there's freedom for you today to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the year of the vengeance of our Lord, that there will be a big day that God will be here, but to also to comfort all those who mourn to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them, I love this, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We might feel like what we have in our hand are ashes, but God is wanting to give us beauty and to give us a oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Sometimes we walk around with despair, a spirit of despair it talks about. And the way to overcome that is to put on praise, to speak up praise. I might not feel it, God, but you still deserve the praise. I worship God in spirit and in truth. Sometimes I feel it in the spirit, but sometimes I just walk in the truth that God is God of my life. And I pray we take Isaiah 61 to heart, Lord God, it may look like I'm surrounded by all the weights of the world, but God, I am surrounded by you. So one more last, one last time, it may look like, just speak with the voices. It may look like I'm surrounded. Oh. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Bring your healing, Lord. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. One last time. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Give God praise, guys. Come on, give him real praise. Yes, for the spirit of despair, we give you praise, God. Man, greet the person next to you. Tell them hello. Welcome. So glad you're here. That is a beautiful blouse. I love your headpiece. Whatever you need to say. Yeah, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. If you're a guest here, my name is John, and I am so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. Man, more than anything, I want you to feel, man, the despair rising as we put on praise. Just try it. Put on praise. That's how God does. That's how he moves. At this time, I just love that verse in Isaiah 61 again. I'm going to go there again. Why is the Spirit of God on us? Why is the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord on us? He has anointed us. He has blessed us. He is moving in us to, set, to bind up. He has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom. That's you. That's not me. That's not my role. That's your role. That's the role of the church that we bring hope and wholeness to wherever we are in Thornton, Colorado, that we, we speak freedom, that we bind up brokenhearted, we release those who are captive in darkness, that is, and, and, and we proclaim, and this is what we're standing on, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord. We comfort those who mourn and we provide for those who are grieving in Zion and we put on them the beauty for ashes gladness for mourning and praise for despair. 
I love that. That was the first thing Jesus read in the temple to show that he was God, that he was Messiah. He read it in the temple boldly that the Lord is on us. And now he's like, it's on you guys. It's on you. As, as I say, go and make disciples of all nations. I'm baptizing you with that same anointing, with that same spirit teaching them to obey of everything I have commanded. I will be with you always. That is that God being with us always. And as we get ready to give, I want you guys to know that your giving is going into what we're trying to do here, what it says right here, what the Spirit of God is trying to lead us to in Thornton, Colorado, to bring hope, to bring wholeness for those who are lost in, in social poverty, in spiritual poverty where they're far from Jesus, in social poverty when they're far from one another, and in physical poverty where they can't make it to the next step and we can help them in the next step of life. And so that is our goal. We believe that brings wholeness, and that's what God wants to do in us. So I'm going to pray. We're going to pass around the baskets and, the, and just be generous to the, to the a vision of God for Hill City Church as we move forward. But Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We believe you're our healer, Lord God, and you surround us in every moment, Lord God. Every breath I take, it is your gift, Lord God. And we thank you for it, God. I pray, Lord, for every heart to be ready, Lord God, for the worship of God through the preaching of his word, God. I, I pray for those who are even here that, like, maybe someone invited you and you thought you were coming to a Bronco party and you ended up at a church. I pray even for those, Lord God. I pray, God, bless them, Lord God. Show up and show them, Lord God, you are their peace, Lord. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. They're going to pass these around. Thank you. Thank you. At this time, I have the privilege of introducing one of my uh, close, closest friends. Uh, he was actually my uh, best man in my wedding. So, so it's, been, it's been a while, right? It's been a while. And uh, just so grateful. His name is Rodney Johnson. He's a pastor in Aberdeen, South Dakota. So give it up for South Dakota. Anyone from South Dakota? Uh, golf clap. Golf clap. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, but uh, just uh, one of my closest friends, we've known each other from freshman year of, of uh, college. And we said, man, we've known each other for 20 years. That's a long time for me. I don't know that many people past 20 years, maybe 25 years are some of my oldest friends. Uh, maybe I'm just a bad friend. <laughs> but but uh, just so grateful for Rodney here. He has, a, he has a word that he wants to speak to us, that he has prepared for us. And that I, I think the timing is just right. And then, so just prepare your mind and just be open to how God wants to speak to you. So give a hand to my friend Rodney Johnson. When John said, uh, you know, he was the best man at my wedding, Candace leaned over to me and she goes, I thought it was our wedding. So, <laughs> boom. Man, I'm excited to be here. Uh, there's multiple reasons I'm excited to be here. I have known John and Candace a long time. Uh, I think some things have changed. Other things have not changed so much. Uh, John's passion is exactly the same as the first day that I met him. Uh, probably the biggest change for all practical purposes is Candace's accent is way less Southern. And so I guess there is hope. Things can change. But uh, I have never preached in a circle, and, it, and it's just it's a little bit intimidating. I'm not sure exactly how to handle this. Uh, things going on behind me, not sure what's going on. I think you could do a social experiment, and you could find 
uh, something about the way people tick that want to sit behind the guy speaking, like in what that really looks like. But I'm excited, excited to be here. Uh, our church is about to start our second campus in the spring, and I have a feeling it's going to look a lot like this. And so um, I had this thought when we were worshiping you guys that, um, I don't, do you guys believe that God is sovereign? I don't, I don't know exactly your theology, but I, I definitely believe that God is sovereign, that he knows the beginning and the end, and that he's working his plan, and he cares more about his church than we do. And so just, I just had this thought when we, were, when we were singing praises to Jesus that from the beginning of time, he knew that this was going to happen, that there was going to be this church that sprouted up called Hill City Church, and uh, he was going to take a bunch of broken people, and they were going to be used for the glory of God to sing the praises of his son's name, Jesus Christ, and that they were going to exalt Jesus, and people were going to get saved and transformed and redeemed, and that people would walk in this place radically different when they leave than when they came. Amen? Right? Like that God is actually doing something, and that his plans and purposes are bigger than we can ever imagine, and it's bigger than a thing called Hill City. It's bigger than John. It's bigger than Candace. It's bigger than your leadership team. Uh, it is all about Jesus Christ and him crucified and his resurrection, and that resurrection has massive implications for our lives. And so he knew that this whole thing was going to be used for the plans and purposes of making his son great. Um, for all practical purposes, I come here this morning a bit humbled just because I feel like South Dakota is not as cool as Denver. Can you guys track with that? Like, I know that you're thinking you agree with me, but you're being humble right now and not saying it. And so I told John, man, I just don't get out. You know, our church is like this anomaly where it grew really big in a small community, which is kind of its own unique thing. It's complicated like that. But uh, we're just not cool. So I said, John... I feel like I need to get a little more trendy. He said, what do you want to do when you're here this weekend? We went downtown. We rode these scooters. It was just like when we were in college. Uh, we were both really cool, by the way, in college. And um, he said, well, what do you really want to do? I said, I want to look trendy like your Denver people. And so my personal goal, goal this weekend was to go for, to every Ross Dress for Less that you guys have. So I'm just really cool, just so you guys know. And so that was kind of what... John and I did in college, we would go to, you know, discounted, jacked up clothing stores and look at ourselves in the mirror and think about how much the ladies loved us. As we get started here today, um, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to cast a little vision for your church. And this is the same stuff that actually a lot of it, I'm going to tell the, our own church next week as we start launching this second campus. But I want to walk you guys through a famous story. If you know Jesus or if you don't know Jesus, you've probably heard of this term, the prodigal son. In fact, maybe people have said that about you, and uh, you didn't even know that in some ways that's a negative thing. But, uh, but there's a story of the prodigal son, and I want to walk you guys through it and give application to your church. And there are these two sons in the Bible. There's the older brother and there's the younger brother. And both are sinners, and their sin looks incredibly different, but they both have it. It just runs through their blood. And so here's the question I want to ask you. And I don't know if you guys write things down. And I'm probably going to say write things down, and because the circle's pretty small, I can see that you're not, and that's going to be awkward. But uh, I'm going to say that statement because it's ingrained in how I preach. I'm going to say write this down. And so if you have anything to write with, you can write a couple of statements down that you're going to hear today that I think are going to be casting vision for your church. But here's, here's the question that I have for you, that if you write things down, I want you to put it at the top of your paper. I want you to write down this question, which brother am I? Because here's my kind of my thesis and my theory for you this morning. 
that every movement, in fact, every person looks like one of the two brothers in this story. And the problem is this, because of sin, both brothers are jacked up. Which brother am I? And if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 15. That caught me off guard. What was that about? All right. You celebrate the word of God. Okay, I thought, well, maybe like Luke 15 is your favorite passage. That's awesome. But uh, turn to Luke 15. We're going to start it. <laughs> We're going to start at verse 11. And I want to tell you about this younger brother that I think a lot of us in this room will identify with. Here's what the Bible says. You can look on your screens. You can look on your Bibles. You can look on your phones. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to be one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So this guy's Jewish. You can just fill in the gaps there. This was not glamorous. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. So let's break down this younger son of the story. This kid was absolutely and fundamentally disrespectful. Any teenagers in the crowd? All right, you can't relate to that, I'm sure. And so he does the unthinkable in his culture. Right? This is like barely New Testament times, 2,000 years ago. The sons in the culture respected the father. The father is the patriarch. He does the unthinkable, and he says, Dad, I need some money, and culturally you're supposed to give that land to me. You're supposed to give that money to me when you die. But what I want is I want it now. Like he's like Veruca Salt from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You guys know who I'm talking about? I want the world. No one's following that. We're going to keep going on. And so he says, give me my money. And here's what he's in essence saying to him. And I want you to pay attention when I tell you this. He's looking at his dad who's a godly man. And he's saying, in essence, you are dead to me. And so the dad's right. Deuteronomy 21. He could have had him killed. He could have had him beaten. He could have easily disowned this type of disrespectful son. But the son says to the father, he says, you're dead to me. I want my money. And so he takes the money. He starts living it up. He buys some friends. He buys a nice place on the beach. He buys a sports car, makes some investments, buys a few bitcoins, whatever that looked like. And the economy goes bad. The stock market crashes. And now this little arrogant man goes belly up. And he thinks to himself, I need to get to work. How many of you guys know this reality that we walk in that sin is only good for a season? That at first it's fun, at first it kind of feeds those things in our soul, but it's only good for a season. And so now he goes from the first part of the season where he's having fun and living up to the second part of the season where sin has these costly effects on our lives. And he goes from a place of enjoying life to hating life, and now he's feeding filthy pigs. And he thinks, man... This is how bad it gets. Pay attention to this. He thinks, man, he looks at this pig slop and he thinks, man, if I could just have some of that. I don't know what your rock bottom looks like, but if, but if you're anything like me, like that's, that's rock bottom. That is bad, bad living. 
And so what's cool about this story is that God takes this young man and he uses rock bottom as a catalyst to change his life. And I want you to write this down. All right, first off, rock bottom is not always a bad thing. So you walk in here and your life is at rock bottom. That's not always a bad thing. But I want you to write this down. This is kind of my quote for the week. The loss of dignity can be the beginning of redemption. So you walk into this place broken. You walk into this place where your life is just not what it appears to be on Facebook. And the loss of dignity in your life can be the beginning of redemption. That's when God uses you. He always uses the broken. And so God brings this young man to a place where he starts to ask questions that he's never asked before. And now you're going to see in this storyline, this younger brother have a changed heart. He says in verse 19, I'm going to kind of paraphrase some of this. He says in verse 19, he says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to confess to my father that I've sinned against him and I've sinned against God. And so he's this user mentality where before he says, "Uh, just give me my money. I wish you were dead. And now he's gone from user to server. His heart is starting to be transformed. His heart is now being redeemed. And look at verse 20 with me. No one yelled at that part. We'll just keep going. (laughs) And the Bible says, and he arose and came to the father. And check this out. Underline this in your Bible. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's living in this brokenness. And the father shut his mouth. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and now he's alive. Uh, and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found and they began to celebrate. So now you see the second character in the story. The plot thickens. It goes from broken son to redeeming father. And I want you to think about something. Why is it that the father saw him from a long way off? And so if this is a metaphor, right, this is God. God is the father in this story. Spoiler alert. Why does dad see him from a long way off? Well, maybe you never really thought about it when you've read this story before. The reason the dad sees this kid from a long way off is because he has to be sitting, longing, and waiting for this son who is disrespectful and turned his back on dad. He is sitting by the window, and he's waiting for his return. Right? This, this dad, this loving dad, wasn't hoping for the worst in his son. How many of you dads would say, if my son disrespected me like that, right, he's going to have to come crawling back to me, and maybe if he turns from his sin long enough, he can earn back my affection. This isn't the heart of the Father God. The dad wasn't hoping for the worst in his son. He was longing for his return. And so there's this idea of eager redemption. He wasn't bitter and vengeful. But he was eagerly awaiting the return of his son, and that's God in our lives. Check this out. The Bible says that the father in this story is running to the son. So he sees him out the window, and now get a mental picture in your head. Now he's running towards the son, and so here's why this is so wild. In this culture, men don't run. In this culture, men wear robes. 
It's like a long skirt of sorts. I don't know exactly what that would have looked like. Like, if you've been in vacation Bible school, you've had people dress up like they lived in the New Testament. So get this mental picture in your head. I went to India with John and Candace before they were ever, you know, deeply and wildly in love, to my knowledge. And I remember we wore these kind of weird suits, and I just get that picture. of I just Think of your pastor in a robe running to you. Let's just pray. Let's close in prayer with that thought. <laughs> And he had this garment on that he would have had to, if you don't run as a man in this culture, he would have had to hike up his skirt and take off to his son, the dad who was holy, the dad who was righteous, was willing to abandon his sense of dignity to embrace his child in sin. How many of you guys know that there are just certain times in your life where dignity has to go out the window for the plans and purposes of God to be fulfilled in your life? The Bible says that the father starts kissing the son, and if you translate this in the Greek, this is my only Greek word for you, I'm not very smart, that it actually translates, translates he kept kissing. And so he sees his son from a long way off, he embraces him, he's running to him, it's not a dignified run, he embraces his son who's just hoping to get a job back with the father, and he doesn't just kiss him, he keeps kissing him. I thought this week what that would have looked like in my life, I had this grandma who's gone on to be with Jesus, and she had these big lips where she wore too much lipstick and every time I'd see her on that one time a year she would grab me and she would just start kissing me all over my face it was awesome that's the heart of God he's just kissing this kid saying I'm so glad that you're home I had this other thought that I want to share with you how many dads are in the room any dads in the room I want to talk to you for just one second here this is such a healthy picture of what Christ-centered masculinity looks like. Where we're willing to lose our dignity for our boys. And we can, I'm a therapist by trade, just a little info there. We can curb a lot of issues with our boys by showing them what healthy masculinity looks like. He's kissing this guy. In the verses that follow, the plot thickens one more time. We're going to focus on this guy for a little bit, and then I'm going to give you some application, and we're going to be out of here. The older son enters the equation. The older son's been working hard. The older son's been keeping the farm afloat. The younger pinhead son went out and blew all his money. And he comes home from work. And he must have been furious because he hears the music playing. And his dad's all pumped up. And he says, you're not going to believe this. Your son, who still has needle marks in his arms, is home. Your son is home, and we're going to kill some animals. We're going to have a huge grill out. We are going to celebrate because the loss has been found. And look at verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a younger goat. Can you, yeah, that was loud, right? Can you, can you just kind of get a mental picture of what that would have looked like? I did all these things for you, and you could put younger goat with anything in your own life where you have religious pride in your life. You never gave me a younger goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when, his son, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. I love the older brother's response in this story. 
He basically says this, and maybe if you struggle with this, because I told you you're one of two brothers, right? You could be a woman in the crowd. For all practical purposes, the metaphor follows, you're one of two brothers. He basically says this. He says, are you freaking kidding me? I have been working my butt off. If you think I'm going to go sit in that house with that spoiled little brat who still smells like a pig, you are lying to yourself. I worked my butt off. You never threw me a party. This guy goes out and sleeps with prostitutes, wastes all your money, and I'm supposed to act like that never happened. Where is my younger goat? And so this older brother's heart is just messed up. What's so crazy about this story is when you look into it closer and understand the cultural context of this story, it's not like he's still not getting his inheritance. In fact, because he's the older brother, he would have got twice the money the younger brother got. He still got everything that he needed. He got everything that he was promised, but his heart was hard, and he was self-righteous to the core. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend a few minutes with you, and I want to lay out two basic principles that I want you to write down if you like to write things down. Number one, we all look like one of the two brothers in this story. Every Christian looks like one of these two brothers. And here's another reality, kind of casting vision for Hill City Church. Every church that I've ever been to or been a part of tends to take on some core traits of one of the brothers in this story. So the question is not uh, if you look like one of the brothers, but who you'll look like. And the scary reality of the story is this that each brother brings a certain subset of sinful qualities that we have to be aware of and crucify daily. We have to go to the cross with these sins that come with being like one of the brothers in this story. We all look like one of the brothers that we're reading about today. And so here is the litmus test. Here are the two core qualities that I want you to write down about these two brothers. The two core qualities that these brothers possess. The younger brother is rebellious and the older brother is religious. I want to break that down for you. How do you know the difference? How do you know which one you are? This is between you and Jesus. You can share it with your spouse if you want to. I don't know what you want to do with this, but let me break it down for you. Rebellion versus religion. Here's the test. Rebellious sin is visible. Religious sin is invisible. And so rebellious sin is in your face. You walk into rebellion's apartment, you can see empty beer cans, you can see remnants of the party that took place last night. But religious sin, it's hard to identify because it follows the big rules to the best of its abilities. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or is no one tracking with this? Right? Rebellious sin is in your face. It's broken. Everyone knows it. Religious sin is harder to identify because it follows all the big rules to the best of its abilities. And so here are the things that I'll draw the line in. Here's the things that I will do. Because I'm religious, here's the things that I will not do, but the heart is hard. And so if that's your story, congratulations, you kind of look like the older brother. And so you don't want to be, if you're the older brother, you don't want to be like Jesus. You just want to be better than the sinful people around you. And if you can accomplish that because you love works, then you win. Your standard of holiness is simply being better than the person next to you. But the problem is the person next to you was never the standard that God called you to. Rebellion versus religion. Here's just some practical stuff that I've thought in my head. Rebellion is usually lazy. Religion is very hardworking. And so rebellion tends to break alarm clocks when they go off. 
Rebellion is known for losing jobs and shirking responsibility. Everyone knows what that person looks like. And some of you are like, man, it's like he's reading my soul right now. Religion works hard and cares a great deal about what others think of them. Religion has a checklist, and it takes priority even over people's needs. Rebellion is unrighteous. Write this down. Religion is self-righteous. And so it seems like as I'm telling you these things, it seems like, man, he's really kind of identifying with this younger brother, and that's maybe the standard. They're both bad. One's worse than the other. And I want you to pay attention to this because a lot of us in this room right now are saying, man, I think I look more like the younger brother. But I want to ask you this question. What is the number one attribute about God in the Old Testament and the New Testament when you look at how that breaks down? The number one attribute of God is his holiness. And so rebellion is unrighteous, but the problem is this. God is calling us unto himself and asking us to pick up our cross and follow him. And when he does that, he's asking us to be holy like Jesus is holy through the power of the Holy Spirit. Religious people deal with being self-righteous. I want to throw one more principle out for you, and I want to kind of go off on a tangent about this. And you want to, I want you to write this down. This is my theory. I have been here for a total of 45 minutes. But this is my theory because, and, and I'll tell you why I think this, because I know your pastor, that Hill City tends to lean towards being a younger brother church. True or false? Hill City tends to be a younger brother church. Here's my theory as to why that is. You have a younger brother pastor. And so if you were an older brother church, you would have thrown your younger brother pastor to the curb several years ago because you wouldn't be having it. You would look at his laundry list of things and you would say, we need somebody who fits this mold. Hill City is going to lean towards because the heart of your leadership is towards the younger brother. Here are the strengths of a younger brother church. Younger brothers' churches always tend to err on the side of grace. Younger brother churches walk with people even when they struggle. True or false? I mean, how true is it that that's why you fell in love with this church, right? You felt judged in every, every movement you've ever been a part of. You grew up going maybe through all the religious hoops, and you came here, and you were broken, and you met a guy who was preaching at you to the point of sweating profusely, and he was so passionate about the gospel that when he laid it out, you went, man, I can relate to that. I'm the younger brother in this story. Younger brother churches, this is the strength of the younger brother movement. They don't have time for Pharisees because Pharisees just make you feel dirty. And Jesus didn't like Pharisees either, so you're in really good company. But here's the flip side. This is my insight. This is not the Bible. You can critique it later and talk to John about how much you hated it. Here's some weaknesses with the younger brother. These are the people that you will be ministering to. These are the people that you are uh, maybe identifying with yourself. Weaknesses are this. Little brother churches can walk in a ton of brokenness. Right? And so you can be very immature in your faith. Little brother churches struggle with consistency. The people can be very impulsive, and you can have high rates of addiction in your circle. Little brother churches tend to make emotional decisions. 
had this thought this week that I wanted to share with you, that little brothers will give you everything they have when they're healthy, and that same little brother, when they give you everything they have when they're healthy, will take everything you have when they're broken. Here's another reality that you need to know. Little brothers rarely fall just once. And so it's not about, you know, if you can just get them to this point in their life, then everything's going to work out. My experience dealing with little brothers, especially as a therapist, is that they fall, and then you think things are better, and then they fall again, and they can start to drive you crazy because you think, why can't they just be over here now? It's been five years. Little brother churches, little brother people rarely fall just once. Little brothers are very quick to run when they feel judged. I wrote this to myself on my phone two nights ago, that it can be harder for a little brother to reach a place called healthy, whatever that means, than it is for a healthy person to thrive. So if you walk into this place and you're, you know, you're a pretty high performer, it doesn't seem to be, from my perspective, it's hard for you to go from a place of healthy to a place of thriving as it does for a little brother to go from a place of brokenness to a place of healthy. And here's my last thought before I ask you two questions as a church. Reaching little brothers is not glamorous. And hear me say this, look at me. It's not glamorous and it's rarely profitable. So guess what that means? That means that you pick up extra burden because God's called you to reach a broken community. Here's my questions for you. Here's the vision portion. What is your strategy? This is clearly for leaders in this room specifically. What is your strategy to reach the younger brother? And here's a hard word for some of us in this room. You might have walked in here with these tendencies, but if you want to reach these people that are broken in your community, that at some point you have to grow up and stop being the person you're trying to reach. Because broken has a really hard time reaching broken and mentoring broken and speaking into the life of broken. You have to go from a place where you got saved to now where you are serving the Lord in, in a way that you are being sanctified and you're growing in your faith because you have to stop being a younger brother if you want to reach a younger brother. And I don't think as, at the same time you're going to reach this younger brother through flashy community projects that make the newspaper. You're going to reach the younger brother one relationship at a time and it's going to lack glamour. I wrote this to myself that little brother churches operate from different shapes and sizes but they were always intentional. What is your specific strategy to reach the younger brother? Here's the hardest question. How much are you willing to sacrifice? You're going to reach this guy in your neighborhood. One of the coolest things I heard as I was at John and Candace's life group, and you guys were talking about these uh, tables where you reach out to the community and your block and uh, I think there's like a $30 gift card in there for food, so it's all set up for you. And you go out. Has anyone done that yet? I'm calling you out. Like, I, I heard people in the life group, they said they tried that, and it worked. Right? It takes sacrifice. It takes social sacrifice. It takes emotional sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice? Here's what I alluded to a little earlier that I think pastors don't maybe want to say to you, but the thing is, I'm flying out at 3 o'clock, so I don't really care. It takes financial sacrifice. 
Like we all have to be all in on this vision of reaching the younger brother, and we have to give on all levels till it hurts or it's not going to happen. That's just the cold, hard facts. Is everyone awake? I want to tell you a little bit as I close with the transition that our church has made and kind of the story of our church in Aberdeen, South Dakota. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I've never heard of Aberdeen, South Dakota? That's how big of a deal we are, okay? And so I'm from California. I actually grew up about four hours from John. And God called me to North Dakota to finish out Bible college and then go to a place called Aberdeen, South Dakota. It's a long story. It's boring. I ended up there. That's all you need to know. 2005, we planted this church called New Life. We started meeting at a hotel. We were doing the setup, teardown thing for several years. Then in 2009, we ended up getting our own facility, and that's where things kind of really started getting a lot more complicated in ministry. 2011, during that time I was a youth pastor, 2011, um, the church took a huge gamble on a very young pastor, and I became the lead pastor of the church. I literally knew nothing about what I was doing. And probably not because of me, but despite me, the church started growing. And we'd never seen a church in our community of about 30,000 people, above a few hundred people. And right now where we stand in ministry, and I, I promise you I don't say this to brag, I just want to give some context to, to kind of our story. There's about 2,200 people coming on a regular basis and around 1,100 on a Sunday. Every, you know, for that's our count. And we started growing and my heart started getting more prideful because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it around. I'm saying there, there are people coming to this church. And so what we tell ourselves as a leadership team at New Life is we say we're a little brother church in a big brother community. We are a very religious community. And so the big churches were always the Lutheran churches. The big churches were always the mainline churches. The big churches especially were always the Catholic churches. And now there's this kind of non-denominational uh, weird church with a weird pastor that's become the biggest church in town. And I can tell you that in my heart, that really started to kind of well up inside of me where I thought, I have arrived. How many of you guys know that you never arrive with Jesus? It's always a process. And what God showed us when we went through a consulting process was we were doing a really good job getting people excited, but we were doing a very poor job actually meeting the needs of the broken. And so we started changing some of our ministry philosophies, and we started telling ourselves we really want to be a little brother church. And so we started this thing called Celebrate Recovery. Who's heard of Celebrate Recovery? It's like the Christian model for AA. Rick Warren started this whole Celebrate Recovery, and we decided that we were going to be the local chapter in our surrounding community. And what happened was we didn't just see a few addicts come through the doors. And how many of you guys know that that freaks out the big brothers? We started seeing a bunch of addicts come through the door. And it wasn't just the addicts where they were on drugs and we all feel sorry for them. They were the sex addicts that nobody likes and nobody wants to talk about. See, now we've got these people that are truly broken in our church. And this movement starts growing and growing and growing where I also work part-time at a mental health center where it becomes the primary context where people in the community, counselors in the community are sending their broken to saying, we don't know what to do with these people. And we're this little brother church in a big brother community. And as we started these recovery groups and they started multiplying, now these people just aren't showing up on Friday nights and throughout the week with their cups of coffee and walking outside to take their smoke breaks. Now they're coming to church on Sunday morning and they're starting to freak people out a little bit. 
And if you want to break down a model of a big brother church, just let the little brother in. And so we allowed the judge in town, like we only have a few of them, we're not big time like you. The judge in town who was recovering out alcoholic started leading these groups. And now the same guy that was sending these addicts to jail is leading them to Christ. I thought at this church, that, yeah, that would be like a bigger deal. This summer at a lake, we baptized 30 people. Ten of them were former addicts. You guys have those stories in your church? And so here's the next phase of ministry. We, we have our services that are full. We have our team that's developed. We're not doing the setup, tear down anything anymore. Life is looking pretty cushy for me now as someone who's about to turn 40. I'm not quite as old as John. He's really old. And I feel like God is telling me, put your money where your mouth is as a leader and specifically go after the little brother and start a new campus. And so this spring, the church doesn't even know it yet, but we're going downtown. And we're going to go start a campus that's not glamorous and that's probably going to cost us a lot of money. And so we bathed this concept in prayer and we just kind of felt like this one simple principle was driving our vision. This is just what Jesus would do. Jesus would chase after the people that are broken in the culture around them. And so I don't know what that looks like for you, but I want to ask you these questions one more time. What is your specific strategy? And then what are you willing to sacrifice to go from point A to point B? It's not going to just magically happen. The Holy Spirit will move, but he still calls us to have strategic planning. Last thing I want to tell you that I'm out. I feel like this is something that happened in prayer last night. John and I were talking. He left. I started praying, and I started typing. I feel like this needs to be said to you guys, that maybe you identify with the older brother, and then maybe there's a lot of you sitting in this circle right now that identify with a younger brother. And you're thinking, you know what, I've never really thought about it that way. I'm kind of like the younger brother in this story. And I want to just say something that's in your face this morning. You might think you're the younger brother sitting here right now, but look at me. You're not the younger brother, and there's one core reason why. The younger brother turned from his sin and ran to the father. And you're still hanging out with the pigs. The younger brother turned from his sin and chased after the father. And you are still contemplating if you even want to go back home. And so my closing question to you is this. Do you know Jesus? Here's the good news of the gospel. There's a third brother in the story. The third brother in the story isn't even in the story. The third brother in this story is telling the story. The third brother in the story has the ability to show up right now in this place and transform your life. Here's the gospel. It's not just that you're a little different when Jesus comes into the equation. When Jesus steps up into the equation and he is more than willing to pick up his robe and run after you and lose some dignity. He lost so much dignity. Look at me. He went to a cross and he died in your place and he rose from the dead. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when the third brother shows up, Everything changes. 
You walk into this room a drug abuser. You walk out a Christ exalter. You walk into this room broken. And you can walk out in freedom. Maybe your entire world, your entire upbringing is dark, but Christ wants to shed some light on your life. You walk into this place with a broken past, but look at me, you're not defined by your past. The gospel changes everything. How many of you know that you have a story and it's not finished being written yet? Jesus Christ is the greater brother. And he takes religious people and he breaks down their heart. And he humbles them. And he takes rebellious people. And he opens their eyes to the gospel. And he has them run. Run to the Savior. It's time to come home. Maybe your situation is jacked up right now. But you need to hear this. God is way more about changing your heart than merely changing your situation. Maybe you're coming to this place because you tried everything else. You watched Dr. Phil. You've seen all the reruns of Oprah. I don't know your story. You thought, man, maybe because when I was five years old, I went to church. Maybe if I can go back to church and hear a good message and my marriage can get better and my family can get better and my job can get better and Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Those things might change, but look at me. I want to change your heart and have that be a trickle-down effect to your situation. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the better son? You can know him right now. There's nothing you have to do. That's the beauty of not being religious. There's nothing you have to do to earn his affection. It's about surrendering your life to his will. Recognizing him not as a savior, but the savior. He can grab your heart. He's more than willing. He's running after you. And he's been pursuing you for years and years and years. And in God's sovereignty, you're just now seeing it. Do you know Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We came to this place. And maybe we didn't even know what to expect. But I pray as we leave this place that every person that doesn't know you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords would right now in their hearts submit to you as Savior. That they would realize that they are a broken brother, but you are the perfect brother. We thank you for pursuing us we lay down our pride. We lay down our sinfulness. We lay down our rebellion. And right now I pray that there are people for the first time ever that would declare you as king. They would believe upon the promise that you died for their sins, that you rose from the dead, and now they can bury their own past and their own sin. They can be saved from hell for eternity and follow you as Savior. Speak to our hearts, Jesus. We pray this in your precious and holy name. Jesus, if there's others that really have a heart for chasing after the younger brother, I pray that you would grow us in our faith, that you would grow us in our sacrifice. 
and that we would have a heart for everyone who's saved in this room, that we would have a heart to multiply because we have a heart to make your name great. Pray blessings on this church, and I pray these things in your precious and holy name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. I think we're going to close. I'm going to give the mic to John. Man, give my friend a hand. I hope that we can uh, just, I hope that message has hit our hearts. It's, it's the same message. It's the gospel. That we have a third brother who's telling the story, who's coming after us, who loves you. And I, I hope that we leave with that. And I'm going to just pray over you guys, and you guys can go. Uh, but uh, I want you guys to continue to ask those questions. What are, what, how are we going to strategize to win the younger brothers out there? And what are we willing to sacrifice to get there? Heavenly Father, I pray those questions, Lord God, are not just questions that they heard today, Lord God, and, but I pray that we write those down, Lord God. What are we re- willing to sacrifice as a family, as a church, as an individual, Lord God, to reach those, Lord God, who need you, who are lost without you, Lord God, who are broken without you, Lord God. Some of us, we need to get healthy, God. And some of us, we need to turn and get out of the pig pen and run to our Father, God. And some of us, we need to humble our hearts, Lord God, and allow younger brothers into our lives. I pray we thank you. We love you as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you, and thank you for being here. God bless you guys.